yesterday was moved from Hines Field to the south side because of the expectation of day-long rain. Good morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. And the only reason I begin this particular program with that remarkably boring nugget is that I was supposed to be covering that practice. But once the practice got moved to the south side, the Steelers aren't yet equipped to handle media in coronavirus times over at their indoor facility. So there's no media access allowed. This is now the second time this happened. Both times were days that I was supposed to cover. So in lieu of being able to watch the practice, to observe it, record it as best as I can, and relay to you the state of the football team, I am instead going to do a very 2020 thing and try to relay to you through a very different means how very, very good Ben Roethlisberger has been. Let me tell you how this stuff works now in Corona times is reporters are allowed to report on practice. What we see, what we observe, this is done in agreement between the Professional Football Writers Association, of which Dale Lawley and I are both members at the site, and the National Football League. And it's done so that the NFL head coaches don't cringe or worry about reporters being at practice and sending out all their formations and everything else to the world so that John Harbaugh can read them and do his damage. So it's just it's not the most savory thing from a journalistic perspective, but it's okay. You know, we're still in there and if something happens, we still find a way to report it. You can confirm it through somebody verbally. Or in this case, the way it's happened in coronavirus times is that after the practice is done, the handful of us who are there reporting, it's usually six people, will pull together an assembly of notes and observations and put them into a pool report. Because there's only six of us there, that means that a lot of outlets a lot of reporters are shut out. So to try to be fair in a pandemic, we pull together what we see, we put it all into one thing. The Steelers will then go through it to make sure that there's nothing in there specifically about formations or personnel, meaning who's with the first team, who's with the second team, that kind of stuff. It doesn't really water it down much, and for that matter, we don't, as a result, put that stuff in the report. We're not daring the Steelers to eliminated. But the pool reports themselves have been kind of fun. I've only been able to participate in one because rain comes along every time it's my turn. But, you know, I was in on this too. You, You list a handful of bullets or whatever, and you pass it along to whichever reporter happens to be compiling the thing for the day, and then it gets distributed. All happens within about an hour from the end of the actual practice. So yesterday, the Steelers are in their indoor facility over at the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex. And the pull report has to be done by somebody. And in this case, it's done by the Steelers' communications staff. 
And they know their football. And they also know from reading our poll reports and reading what we do, what it is that people are looking for, what it is not only that reporters are looking for, but way more important, what you're looking for uh, as a fan, as a reader, as a viewer, as a listener. So once you get past this pool report, which is how I'm going to report on how this practice went that I didn't see, there's a list of uh, injuries, and in Fairly significant detail, certainly compared to what the National Hockey League will offer you. It's not just upper body, lower body. There's there's pretty significant stuff there, you know. Uh, it tells you that Cam Sutton was held out of practice after leaving yesterday's practice with an injury, rode the stationary bike for much of practice. This is the kind of stuff that we would be recording. So you go through some of the bullets here, and there's stuff about some backups and so forth. Jordan Dangerfield picking off a perfectly thrown Mason Rudolph pass and stuff like that that you wouldn't be all that interested by. So what I decided to do instead was to go through this thing and just look for Ben's name. Okay? Just look for Ben. Because, to be honest with you, as I told Dale before going over, or when I thought I was going to be going over, I was really just going to watch Ben for a column that I was going to write for you. I was just going to zero in on number seven and... Keep it really simple. So that's what I'm going to do here. So here are the bullets that mention Ben's name. For your enjoyment, for your entertainment, for your enlightenment. Bullet number one. Following warm-ups and individual drills, QB Ben Roethlisberger opened practice with a perfectly thrown 30-yard pass, which was caught in stride by wide receiver Deontay Johnson. I can kind of picture that in my head. You know? Ben and Deontay getting it done. 30-yard pass in stride. Like to see it, right? All right, let me scroll down here and see the next reference. Oh, here we go. QB Ben Roethlisberger dropped in a perfect fade route to wide receiver Deontay Johnson during red zone. Johnson secured the pass, quickly got both feet down, and maintained possession before going out of the corner of the end zone. Good stuff. More good stuff. You seeing this in your head? You envisioning this? Ben to Deontay. Red zone. Good stuff. Next bullet. The offense scored touchdowns on all four red zone attempts. With QB Ben Roethlisberger, they identify him by that exact terminology on every single reference, which is funny. Like what other Ben Roethlisberger is over there right now? The offense scored touchdowns on all four red zone attempts with QB Ben Roethlisberger completing passes to wide receivers James Washington, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Deontay Johnson, and tight end Eric Ebron. I'm going to repeat that one for you for some emphasis. The offense scored touchdowns on all four red zone attempts, and all four of those were by Ben to three different wide receivers and his new tight end. Getting excited yet? You don't have to see you don't have to see these practices. Who needs to see them? We can just read the pull report. Here's another one. Up, oh, I'm working my way down here. QB Ben Roethlisberger connected with wide receiver Deontay Johnson on a deep out. Roethlisberger's throw arrived just as Johnson broke out of the top of his route. More Deontay. Good stuff. Notice that there's also a couple of passes here that have both been over 25 yards. Deep balls. 
Don't think of Deontay as just some kind of possession short yardage receiver. He is not that. He is capable of a lot of things. He is potentially an elite route runner in the NFL. This is me telling you this. It's not on the pool report. I really think the world of this kid's ability, but I'm ready to multiply that many times over based on his ability to connect, to form chemistry with Ben. I got one more here. This is down to the second last bullet. QB Ben Roethlisberger hit wide receiver James Washington on a deep in route just in front of safety Curtis Riley. Okay, I don't know who safety Curtis Riley is either. So let's presume that James has done more accomplished things in his brief NFL career than somehow outdueling safety Curtis Riley. However, it's another deep ball from Ben, and it's yet another wide receiver. And this confirms what I have been able to see in my unfortunately limited time at Heinz Field. Ben is throwing the ball not just with force, not just with precision, but with timing. With timing. It's the same thing that I saw with my own eyes. Guys are breaking off their routes. They're getting open at the last second, but Ben's already got the ball in the air even before they break the route. And it hasn't just been the wide receivers. He's not mentioned in this pool report, but I saw Ben also hooking up very smoothly in this regard with both Vance McDonald and Juju Smith-Schuster. He's forming connections with all of these guys. And believe me, they're not all being covered by some safety named Curtis Riley. They're being covered by Joe Hayden, Stephen Nelson, Minka Fitzpatrick. Ben's beating everyone. Ben is Ben again. No, he's not going to be scrambling. He's not going to have would-be tacklers falling off of him as he did 10, 12 years ago. But he's Ben again when it comes to throwing the football and throwing it hard, throwing it accurately, but also throwing it with that perfect sense of timing that's the very best of Ben that we saw back in 2018. This is going to be an exciting football season. Don't fear it. I still sense that people fear this season because of Ben. He is the least of your concerns right now. When we come back, some baseball. Congratulations to Brian Reynolds and his wife Blair on the birth of their first child, son Reese, whose arrival into this world was welcomed by Daddy stepping into the box yesterday at BNC Park and delivering a three-run homer, a double, and a wonderful celebration after each of those in which he was mimicking the rocking of a cradle, if you will, with his hands. Uh, just a, a wonderful scene. On top of that, the Pirates end up winning 6-2, to two, salvage a game uh, in their series against the Cubs at PNC Park. They will resume play today with a doubleheader 
against the Reds over at PNC Park. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They represent people who get hurt in automobile accidents, who have issues with workers' comp, medical malpractice. The attorneys at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. It's important to them, as they've told me themselves, that when they make you a promise, they keep that promise. They've been doing that for 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, Elwood City. Learn more about them by going on the web at lgkg.com. Come on, that's easy to remember, right? lgkg.com or by calling them at 888-842-5454. I'll tell you, as much fun as it was to see Reynolds doing what he did and reminiscing back on Rob McCoviak and that doubleheader that I know the longer-serving fans of this baseball club will never forget what he did on the day of the birth of his child at PNC Park with the dramatic homers in the day-night doubleheader. The part of this particular victory that impressed me the most was JT Brubaker's start. His lines never really floor you. It's always something in the range of four innings. This one was five innings, couple runs, handful of hits. Let me tell you why I've been encouraged by him. Maybe more than I should be, but hear it out. From the moment that he took the mound in St. Louis to open the series and he showed himself well in a piggyback role, if you'll recall, he's shown the ability to get both right-handed hitters and left-handed hitters to swing over his slider. He also has all the other pitches in the arsenal that you'd want out of a starter. The only thing he didn't have entering this season was being stretched out. Uh, The Pirates had never too seriously considered him to start back in the original spring training, and he was coming off the injury that cost him most of 2019. He was able to avoid surgery for that injury, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't serious and that the time off wasn't required. So they had to be careful with him. They were careful with him. And even when he showed really well in Bradenton and then showed even better in the summer camp here in Pittsburgh, they still weren't going to be able to just whip him out there and have him take regular starters innings. So they had to bring him along slowly. They did that, and and he responded. Each time out, he's done something a little bit better. I've talked with Derek Shelton about this, and his response to me was that he's just looking for each time for there to be another step, another stride. But I'm going to tell you that where JT Brubaker is concerned, Going back to the preceding general manager, Neil Huntington had mentioned to me, this was in early 2019 when Brubaker was shut down, real regret 
over this, meaning that they the pirates felt stung that he wasn't available. They saw him as someone who was going to be capable of coming in right then and there and helping their rotation. That's how highly they thought of him. Now, go ahead and insert all the necessary punchlines about their ability to evaluate or not evaluate or whatever. But I'm just sharing with you that these guys aren't the only ones to be thinking highly of Brubaker. His career's been slowed down by the injury, but it hasn't been derailed. He has a slider, and man, he showed this a couple of times yesterday, that it'd be the envy of a lot of starting pitchers in the majors. If he can get his fastball command consistently back to where it was before the injury, if he can work the rest of his arsenal in, if he can maintain that poise, that cool that he's shown out there. Actually, he shows it off the field, too. Guy's, like, really just really even-keeled. There is a legit part of the Pirates' future rotation. Is he headed to Cooperstown? No. Not everyone who's a part of a winning team has to be a superstar. It's okay to get a little bit happy or a little bit excited about the guys who are just going to be parts of a winning team. I think Brubaker can be that. For anyone who doesn't know, you can't leave the team that drafted you until you've put six full years in the majors, meaning that's how long it takes to acquire true free agency. And this is just Brubaker's first year, and even then it's going to be limited in terms of service time because of the short season. So they just might have found something or produced something or at least begun something with this kid. Keep him in mind. No, 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 do more than that. Keep him at the forefront of your thoughts next year when the Pirates go into Bradenton and are looking at forming a rotation because he's starting to carve a spot for himself right now, not then. They are paying attention, believe me. When we come back, some really annoying hockey last night. Stanley Cup playoffs with three lingering objectives from my pre-journalism days as just your regular old rabid hockey fan. And these objectives, in no particular order, are eliminate the Flyers. Just one way or another, somebody's got to keep that 1975 thing going. It's just way too good. It doesn't need to end. Eliminate the Flyers. Number two, and again, these aren't in order, even though I just gave that a number, (laughs) is to eliminate the Maple Leafs because their fans and their media are just the most annoying, obnoxious, anything in all of professional sports, entitled, whiny, complainy, eliminate the Maple Leafs. They haven't even made the Stanley Cup final. Since 1967, back when it was a six-team league. Keep it that way. Number three. 
Eliminate all Canadian teams except Winnipeg, because I like Winnipeg. doesn't matter. Jets are out. No team from Canada, of course, has won the Stanley Cup since the Canadians and Patrick Waugh did it way back in 1993, even though Canada comprises nearly a quarter of the league's franchises. I'm okay with that. I don't even know why. I just kind of like it. You know? So on that front, yes, it was an annoying night. Flyers beat the Islanders 5-4 to four in double overtime to force Game 7. The Canucks whipped the Golden Knights. Didn't see that coming. 4-0 in their own Game 6, so they'll be playing a Game 7 as well. This segment of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our good friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. One in seven people in our region are food insecure when things are normal. And now, during the pandemic, things are most definitely worse than normal. If you are in need of food assistance, or if you'd just like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell it out, pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. So, it's not great, the outcomes. But we get back-to-back Game 7s. Tonight, they'll be doing the Western Game 7, and then tomorrow will be the Eastern one. And it reminds me, oh boy, of where we were six, seven weeks ago when we were wondering if we would see sports again at all, if we'd see hockey again, uh, even though there had been already uh, significant plans conceived for a bubble Stanley Cup. There were still people debating whether or not it would work, whether or not the NHL was making a mistake, whether it was wasting everybody's time, whether the tournament would come with any validity. Uh, We're almost two full regular rounds through this thing. We're almost at the conference finals. And I've got to tell you, Despite some early skepticism on my end, the hockey has turned out to be really good. Uh, That Flyers-Islanders game last night was can't-take-your-eyes-off-it stuff. Both teams played really, really, really solid, intensive, responsible, and yet aggressive hockey. The ice tilted back and forth. The Flyers would control possession for a while. The Islanders would go back. They would own possession for a while. There was good goaltending on both sides by both Semyon Varlamov and Carter Hart. Young players were rising up. Old players were rising up. Best I've seen Claude Giroux look in a while. Just good stuff. And then... The nightcap comes along. That obviously wasn't a great game at all. The Canucks were pretty much in charge from the start, certainly on the scoreboard. They've got a player that's just a blast to watch individually. And Elias Pettersson, uh, he is a magnet for the puck. Trying to find the right word there. There are players like that that come along very, very rarely in this sport. 
Igor Larionov, for those of you who go way back, was my ultimate role model for this sort of thing. It's just the puck somehow just finds the player instead of the other way around. You know what I mean? Uh, if you watch Pedersen, he's number 40 for Vancouver. If you're new to the sport and just want to learn, he's a, a skinny dude, a wiry dude, who looks like he should be getting his head knocked off every other night. Sometimes he does get his head knocked off. But he's tough as nails. He goes to the front of the net. And he's hard to figure out. He is an outstanding passer. And yet he's a better shooter. He's a terrific skater. And yet he's an even better stick handler. If he had some more muscle on him, there'd be discussion as to whether or not he's the best player in the National Hockey League. And I, I say that not as any kind of dig at either Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid, and, of course, Sidney Crosby. This player is just different. He doesn't look like the rest of them. He doesn't play like the rest of them. It's like he's just come from somewhere else and is playing a different sport. I find that fascinating. Anytime I've seen it in hockey, there aren't many of those that happen. I still want to see them lose. I, I, let, let's see the Golden Knights take care of business, eliminate all the Canadian teams. Let's see the Islanders take care of business, take care of my whole checklist in one night or two nights, and they'll both be fun. I'm looking forward to them. We could have not had hockey. Think about that. For anyone who said, why are they bothering to do this? This isn't a real thing or whatever. Now that you've watched it, do you still really feel the same? Do you still feel the same way now that you've seen some of these games, now that you've seen some of this action? You've seen some of this quality. Do you really feel like at the end, whoever is going to lift that Stanley Cup is going to have an asterisk next to it or have it tainted in any way, shape, or form? I don't. I'm seeing blood and guts out there. What kind of opt-out issues were there? Tuka Rask, that's it. Everybody else has put heart and soul into this. And that's that's the Stanley Cup playoffs. I am not happy at all, still, that the NHL fled the United States of America to pull this off. But I am happy that there is hockey. I'm happy that there's a tournament, and I'm happy that someone is going to raise the greatest trophy in sports within the next month. And whoever it is, they'll have had to overcome arguably more than the usual Stanley Cup champion. If you've read the various accounts, including the one by our own Tom Reed on DK Pittsburgh Sports about the perils, the mental challenges of isolation, of not being allowed to move outside of designated areas for an extended period of time. I'm not trying to make them out to be POWs or anything super serious like that, but it's a challenge that hasn't been faced in the past by other champions. I told you here on this show, and I wrote at the time, two, three months ago, that whoever was going to win championships in 2020 was going to be celebrated as a special champion not in a negative way, but in a positive way. And nothing I've seen so far out of these Stanley Cup playoffs has changed my mind in that regard. Enjoy your weekend. I'll be back Monday 
after spending the weekend at PNC Park. And yes, there will actually be baseball that I can cover. They're not going to pull the rug up from under me and go move the games to the south side or something. Thanks for listening. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.